Welcome to Let's Talk Church. I'm Brian, and we're here to talk about the things that are going on in the church world. We talk about blog posts, articles, vicious rumors, things that are going on in the church world, and we think it's important that we talk about it. So let's jump into this and let's talk church. Welcome back to uh, Let's Talk Church. I'm sitting here with my friend Ted, um, staring at his face on the screen. And we've we've already been chatting for, I don't know, what, 20 minutes now? Um, sitting here talking, and I finally just said, you know, we really we really should have already hit record. Because the things that we're talking about are important for us to, to get out there for you guys. Um, so tonight, we're we're talking about disqualified pastors. You know, what constitutes a disqualified pastor? What's the the process for um, next steps, right? We'll, we'll put it that way. You know, what's what's the process of coming back, right? From, from removing that disqualification from yourself. Is that even possible? So, so tonight, Ted, you've, once again, you've done more research than I have, which um, it's kind of embarrassing. That's kind of my thing. I'm supposed to be the one doing all the research, but you've you've got lots of information for us. So, why don't you get us started with a a point or thought that you've had this week? Yeah, um, you know, over the last I don't know how long uh, we've got a lot of of big name pastors that have um, made the news for being infamous, right? Not not mm-hmm. for good things that they've done, but for 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 bad things that they've done. And it got me thinking about, you know, what does that look like? Um, what, um, what qualifies you as a pastor? And then what could disqualify you as qualify you as a pastor? What does the process of that look like of, of walking down the road of disqualification? Um, can you be restored um, to being a pastor, I think we would both agree that you could definitely be restored to being a Christian and being welcomed back into the church because um, we serve a, a God of grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. But can you ever be, should you ever be you know, restored to the office of pastor, of leader? Um, right. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the springboard was. Um, we, we pulled up the two major... Um, proof texts in the Bible that say, here's what the qualification for uh, elders or overseers are. Um, we've got a few examples of recent people who have made the news. Um, we don't necessarily need to name names, but we can describe who they are and what their process looked like and, and, and walk through that. But that was just kind mm-hmm. of the question I had for you is, you know, how does this work? Um, how should it work is, is a better question. And, um, yeah, see, see now that, that opens us up into, uh, some deep stuff, right? Because how should things work versus how they realistically most frequently do are often two different things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think Paul's texts in Timothy and, and Titus were pretty clear as to what a, a pastor should look like. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you you and I are probably going to disagree with this, right? Or disagree with each other on this. Um, Paul, being part of 
the ancient Near Eastern culture, right, was not, would not have been intently focused on rules, right? Like in the modern world, we are very rule-based, right? This group of people cannot do this thing, right? Or, yeah, felons cannot vote, cannot own guns, right? There's, there's rules, right? There's very little wiggle room for these rules. You're either black or white. Uh, in the ancient Near East, it was far more about relationships, right? Um, really to the point that, you know, relationships trumped rules most of the time. Yeah. So Paul here is giving suggestions on what the best preacher, best priest, best pastor, best overseer looks like, right? He's not specifically saying the overseer of your church must meet every single one of these. Now hmm. the church utilized them, right? And said, you know, if you, if you're, if you're a drunk, you probably shouldn't be a pastor right now. Right. But the fact that this person was a drunk a year ago and has gotten past it doesn't disqualify them from being a pastor today. Right. Uh, if they were drunk before they were saved or maybe when they were uh, a new Christian, but now they've been in the faith for a while and exactly. Okay. And they've, they've pulled back from that. Sure. Um, you know, so, so I don't, I don't want to really look at these as a list of rules, but a best practices guideline. Sure. Right. Like uh, w one of these days we can talk about the Didache, you know, the Didache on baptism gives like, seven different formulas, <laughs> right? Seven different ways that baptism should be done. And it starts with, you know, the most optimal, best way to do this down to, if you've got nothing left, this is, this is the bare minimum, sure. right? Um, so I think Paul here is giving a good best practice. You know, if you can meet all of these criteria, you would make a great pastor. Okay. Right. Sure. Um, so, I, I want to point that out. Um, both lists from Timothy and Titus um, indicate that the person, the man, uh, must be above reproach. Yeah, it's repeated. Right? It's, it's repeated in both lists, and Titus list right. actually has it twice. Yes, yeah. So it's a kind of a a big deal, right? You mm -hmm. shouldn't even look like the rest of the world. Right. Uh, should be the husband of one wife. Now that one. We can we can dig into that one in another episode because the language of that is very interesting. Um, is it polygamy? Is it one wife never divorced? Is it one wife at a time? Is it yeah? There's there's lots of fun there. I'm gonna make that a future episode. Um, Timothy says be sober minded. Uh, both include self control. Uh, both include hospitable hospitable hospitality. Wow. Hospitable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Must be hospitable. Uh, the ability to teach, not a drunk, not violent, not a lover of money. Uh, must be able to manage your own house. Well, uh, with all dignity, keeping children submissive. Um, Titus adds that children's children must be in the ESV believers in others must be faithful. Um, let's see. 
Trying to see if there's anything else. A lover of good in Titus, upright, holy, disciplined. Um, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, right? So these are all things that, you know, the fact that these lists are not identical, right, points us more towards this is a best practices idea. If it was a, a firm list of rules, the one that Paul wrote first would have been duplicated into the one that he wrote second, whichever whichever one he wrote first. I don't remember the dates on Timothy and Titus. Um, so these are things that if, if a man comes to the church as a faithful follower of Christ and says, you know, I, I want to teach, I want to lead, I want to do something, right? This is where you go first, right? Do you, uh, not necessarily do you meet all of these, but are any of these a major problem in your sure. life? Yeah. Right. You know, because really, I mean, if you look at them, if, if you're a fairly normal person, right? If you're, if you're going along with the flow, living life, you're really not against any of these, right? There's, there's not any of these that step out and say, oh, this is a unique person. If you're relatively normal. <laughs> so as long as there's nothing that says, oh, this guy, this guy, this guy just yesterday was hitting up all of us for all of our money, right? He's, He's just stacking up money. He's 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 greedy. This is sure. a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So. What where where does this leave you, Ted? Yeah, I would agree with you I that you making faces at me. I, I I would agree with you that these are not necessarily a checklist to go down because, like you said, they're not identical. They are extremely similar. Yes. And. Um, and, and there is nothing in one list that would contradict the other list. If anything, they, they add to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that Paul is saying is that not everyone can and should be a pastor. Right. Um, Absolutely. And one of the things that he puts in the list for Timothy that I think is, um, that I think is big is you must be well thought of by outsiders right? Mm-hmm. You don't want someone to be, um, have a, have a bad name in the marketplace now leading your church. Um, even if it's something he did years ago, right? That's yeah. still going to reflect poorly on the name of Christ. Um, now you can always make your name better and rebuild your reputation and those kind of things. But as long as your name is synonymous with something you did, um, and you're, you can't be trusted or you can't, um, you know, people, people don't invite you over to their house for, you know, uh, uh, for dinner or something like that, then yeah, that's, it's a problem. Uh, we don't want you to be the yeah. representative in the, in the, in the town, uh, for Jesus. Um, right. You know, you, you said that this is a fairly normal list and I, I don't know. Uh, the more and more I look out into the world, <laughs> I see some people that appear this way. Um, but when you dig in deeper, they're, they're really not. Um, and I would say this list actually is a, um, 
is a very limiting list. Um, when you get into the gentle and not violent and not quarrelsome, okay, there's a lot of guys who do that in, you know, in the marketplace or at work or around other people. But what happens when they get home? You know, are they mm-hmm. violent and quarrelsome with their kids? Are they gentle with their wives? Um, I'm not even saying like abusers. I'm just saying, would their kids say, oh yeah, he's gentle? Or would he say, no, right. he's true. He's got a temper on him. You know, there's holes in our walls because of, you know, his reactions and those kind of things. There may not be holes in us, but there's holes in um, in the walls and stuff like that because of his, his temper on there. Um, and, uh, you know, qu- not quick tempered, not arrogant. I think that's a big thing. There's a lot yeah, of people who want to teach because they want the recognition and it's not necessarily a, um, a godly, um, calling to sacrifice themselves for, uh, for the, for the body of Christ. It's a, I want to be seen as the guy that knows the thing. And I want to be seen as, um, what does Jesus say about the Pharisees? They, they walk around and they, they want everyone to, to recognize them in the marketplace and they want them to, um, to, to see how they pray and to see how much they give and those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. but it's because they're arrogant that they want the recognition of man, not necessarily the, the recognition of God. Um, and so I would actually say that, yeah, looking on the outside, I could, oh yeah, I could check these lists, but then I get down to the not arrogance and I realize maybe I'm checking the lists off because I'm, I'm an arrogant <laughs> person, right? I think well of myself and, uh, and I would, I actually need to go back and reevaluate this stuff. Um, but you know, this, I, I, I do, I do hear what you're saying that this isn't necessarily a checklist to go down and, um, but it is is a very, very good um, idea of we want to be above mm-hmm. the 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 representatives of Christ and the teachers of the body need to be above uh, even a, another level. Um, uh, now that we're thinking about it, there's a, a verse and I can't think about I can't think where it is right now, but it talks about how not everyone should be desire to be teachers because they will be judged mm-hmm. more harshly. Yeah, over um, Peter. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and and so and the reason they can judge more harshly is because they are the shepherds of the sheep, right? They are the mm-hmm. um, they can lead a lot of people astray versus just themselves going out and uh, and doing something odd or weird or something like that. So um, God's entrusting, you know, part of His body to these men. Um, they they should be above what the, the even the average churchgoer maybe in that congregation would be, um, because they need to be able to lead. You know, you would want your the people teaching your children math and reading and writing and that kind of stuff that they would know math and reading and writing, right? right? Yeah. And that they would yeah. be decent human beings that you would send them to to learn these things, and not. Um, just because you're the brilliant mathematician or even, you know, whatever, a brilliant author, but you know, you're a scumbag person. You wouldn't want your kids going to that person to, to learn 
And I think that that's similar here is, yeah, you've got to, you've got to be able to do the job, but you also now have to be um, an example of what we want Christians to be. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously we have to put this caveat in here. None of these things save the person, right? Your, uh, your behavior doesn't save you. Jesus's work on the cross saves you. Um, But this should be the look and feel of someone who's in the family of God. Um, You're supposed to be sanctified and, and more and more so each day living a more holy life. And this is, this is the goal you need to be aiming for here. Um, And I I think that's a very good, very, very good starting place. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If, if we're, if we're saying that this is the, uh, kind of the goal, the the best of the best, right? The cream of the crop, to to put it how, how it kind of seems. What happens if and when the pastor, priest, elder, overseer, whatever, um, no longer meets one of these? Does that disqualify them from being pastor, priest, overseer, elder, bishop, etc.? Yeah, that's a that that's that's one of the questions we were talking about earlier. Is yep. Um, maybe some of these would immediately single single failure, single sin in this area. And I'm sorry, you cannot be the leader of the local body of Christ anymore. Maybe some of these it would be a you need to repent and you need to. Um, come under some sort of uh, counsel with fellow elders or, or, you know, um, other people in your church. And okay. If it was a one-time thing. Okay. But if it starts being a habitual thing, it starts being a, uh, a, a thing that's now defining your character. Well, then now it's disqualifying. Um, you know, I would, I would put something on there like, you know, we, we talked about maybe what's the definition of the husband and one wife, but I would say infidelity against your wife would be a huge problem. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a single case of infidelity, I'm sorry, you, you probably shouldn't be leading the church anymore. You should, shouldn't be doing that. Um, one time getting upset with your kids and overreacting, maybe not. But if you're known by your family for being that way, then maybe we have a deeper issue here. Um, and so, so, yeah. So let me, let me ask you this and you didn't know this question was coming. So please forgive me. <laughs> so does that mean in your eyes that some of these sins are greater than others? All sins are damnable, right? I mean, um, Jesus says, if you, break one part of the law, you've broken all parts of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, they're, they're all damnable when it comes to eternity. We are talking about a, um, about a, a, an institution here on earth that does see cer- certain sins as mm-hmm. worse than others. Um, absolutely. You know, we see 
Paul correcting Peter for his, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's almost a, a type of racism or a rejection of grace or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that wasn't a disqualification of Peter, obviously. Um, and Peter immediately repented and he didn't even need a process of restoration. He recognized what he did was wrong and stopped doing it. Um, right. And so there, there's, there's those types of things, but we also see, um, Paul writing, and I should have pulled this one up and I don't have it with me, but, you know, Paul writing about, um, you know, people leaving him and people leaving the faith. And, you know, obviously those people aren't going to be teachers of, of, of the body anymore. Um, so there are certain things you can do that would then, um, exclude you from, from that. So, you know, taking from scripture, we don't have a great example of this pastor went through this thing and here's the whole process that it went through. And, um, we do have Matthew 18, which is Jesus says that we should do with a fellow brother. Does the same thing apply to a pastor? Um, maybe possibly something like that is probably what should be happening. Um, and especially when you get into organizations that don't have a, a hierarchy or a collection of elders that you can go to, if there's only one pastor uh, and mm-hmm. there really isn't any formal um, accountability of some kind, you know, right. you can go to that pastor and say, Hey, I, I noticed you did this thing. And, um, okay, if he repents, great, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't, you can go get some other church people and bring it to him. But then now how do you as a church, if he still doesn't repent, you know, how do you kick the pastor out of the church? You know, that that becomes uh, troubling. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say that the Matthew 18 uh, method of of correction and, and church discipline would probably be a great way to start this. And I think that if you did have a group of other elders or you had some sort of hierarchy, then you can go within that hierarchy and go with those other elders. But if you didn't, you can still get other church people involved and still follow that same process. Um, Yeah. It makes for a really good starting point. Yeah. I think so too. Um, You know, and if they repent on the first one, Oh, right. You know, you, you, you're completely right. I need to repent and okay, well then that's it. You don't need to bring anybody else in maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. But if they've, like I said, if they've done some sort of infidelity or some sort of um, in in our human minds, you know, worse sin than others, then maybe that he needs to, as part of his repentance, he needs to let the church know what he's done and um, maybe step aside and let a, a better qualified man, uh, take over or something, but, um, you know, if it was a, if it was something else that maybe wasn't, doesn't, doesn't reach that level, then, okay, it just can stay between the two of you. And, um, but if it happens again, now we've got a bigger problem. Now we've got a, a pattern. Right. So, yep. Yep. So, 
you you said something. And I'm debating if we want to jump to this or if we want to talk about some other examples first. Um, you you mentioned oh I'm trying to think of how you worded it. You were talking about um, pastors who are no longer pastors being received back and coming back into being a pastor. Something sure. in, along those lines. Okay. You, you were talking about it, and it reminded me. Um, the Council of Nicaea actually wrote about this. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, yes. In, in Canon 8 of the Council from Nicaea, the first Council of Nicaea, first ecumenical council, or I guess technically second if you count Jerusalem as the first, um, has a, an entire canon, canon number eight, about... Okay, so we're back. <laughs> so Canon 8, you know, is talking about, um, honestly, it's talking about bishops, right? Okay. Bishops who fell into some sort of heresy, right? Being uh, deposed from their, their bishopric, another another bishop coming in and these bishops going off and, and doing their repentance or their dealings with God, as it may be. But then them realizing and them coming to that moment of repentance and returning to the existing bishop within that, that bishopric and then being restored to the priesthood, um, even after teaching heresy. So it was happening as early as 317. Well, even our, even our favorite, you know, even my favorite bishop, you know, Nicholas, you know, he was... <laughs> Gotta love Saint Nick, you know. And there was—I'm trying to think of some other bishops that I know of that point that were—they uh, were excommunicated not just once, but like multiple, multiple times. And then they restored, then right. excommunicated, yep. then restored. Uh -huh. And before their their teachings were recognized as, oh yeah, that is really what the scriptures are saying there. Yep. Um, and maybe it was a more of a refinement of what they needed to say, or mm -hmm. or maybe it was, you know. Um, coming across to the other bishops as uh, something I didn't want to hear. Um, yeah. Or yeah. Politics got yeah, in the way a lot. Politics gets in the way of things. Um, and we, we, we like to think that these early church fathers were just holy and, you know, didn't actually have these earthly problems like, you know, right. pride and, um, and those kind of things, but they, they really did. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's it's good. I'll I haven't read it, but I'll have to look it up after this one. That they yeah. had a a policy for for yeah, bringing them back into being them, a bishop. So, right. Well, I guess if the early church was okay with bringing them back into uh, bishopship, you know, that's the question: is is it just their teaching, or was it a moral failing? Like, were, was I mean, there? I, that that's. That's the thing. I mean, a, a heretical teaching, right, is far worse than an individualist moral failing. Okay. Right, because you're leading the entirety of your, your church the wrong direction. That's significantly worse than cheating on your wife once. As, as crazy as that sounds in our American culture. <laughs> I wonder also if it was a... 
and I don't want to sound uh, chronologically snobbery here. Um, I do wonder also if it was just a lack of educated men that could have taken over that. So they were more willing to, okay, if you've corrected your thing, then we can work this way out. But, you know, no, because, because it required the, the excommunicated party to come back to the Bishop that had taken over their see, Right. So there was our, there was a Bishop in their place. Gotcha. Right. And they were brought back and they weren't the Bishop of the see, Right. They were just made a presbyter within that, uh, that see. Okay. But at some times, I mean, the, the title of Bishop could have been restowed. Sure. Re restored. There we go. Yeah. Mixed up some, more, mixed up my words. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about, so we know the early church, right. Had at least some process, right. For restoring somebody. What, what about, uh, modern contemporary uh, leaders that don't really have a hierarchy that they work within. You know, I mean, I've, yeah. I see one name on here, the second one on our list, that he was the top at the top. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah, and that's the... <laughs> it's It's a... It's a double-edged sword here in the Western mm-hmm. world where anybody can start a church. <laughs> yeah. um, and and there's nobody to stop them from start starting a church. Um, and that's... I think it's good and bad, right? You, because we did have problems with the entire church organization in the 1500s that needed yes. <laughs> to be split away the from entire Western, yeah, Western the entire church, Western church. <laughs> uh, needed to be split away from. Uh, but uh, you know, now it's anybody can start a church, you yeah, know, anywhere split into 40,000 individual denominations. And I think a lot of people on our list, the reason they made the list was because they uh, were, they, they were famous. They had large followings, whether uh, they had large actual churches or they had a large uh, either internet or televangelist uh, following. Um, I think only about only half of our list actually is under a type of church polity that they had um actual accountability. I think the other half, um, if they did any, have any church accountability, it was local church only. And it mm-hmm. was, uh, possibly in name only. Um, right. You know, they had some, some yes men that were on a board that were supposed to keep track of them. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, let's let's go through some of these examples, I guess. So again, I don't want to name yeah. any names here, but people could probably figure it out. Um, <laughs> uh, we did have this this man in uh, South Carolina, um, large church, um, one of the mega 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 churches. I think someone actually started calling them giga churches at some point. Oh, um, and his 
board. I don't know. I'm guessing some sort of leadership organization inside the church um, did remove him as senior pastor. Um, and this was in 2016. Um, and the reasons they cited were alcohol abuse and neglect of his family duties. So I know a lot of people that are, a few of our people on our list are going to be there for infidelity, which tends to be the big one. Makes the news a lot. Um, but this one was alcohol abuse and neglect of his family duties. Um, which both of those things are on the list. They're on Timothy's list and Titus list about being a drunkard yeah. and, you know, got to control your, not control your family. You have to have a good family life. Let's just say it that way. Yeah. Um, however, this person in uh, less than a year later was divorced from his wife. So obviously it, he didn't, well, he wasn't able to fix it, whether that means it was too far gone already or, um, or he didn't, this wasn't the wake up call he needed. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, however, this man started a new church in the same town as his previous church, less than two years after he was removed from his mega church. And then he got remarried a few years later. Um, Uh, yeah, to me, that's to me, that screams of arrogance, you yeah. know? Well, well, it, it, to me, you know, I, I think, I think the original church was probably right in, in removing him. Right. Um, abuse of alcohol is, is a problem, mm-hmm. right? It, it just, leads to so many other other issues right and if you're supposed to be leading a portion of the body of christ you don't need those issues right right you've got enough issues to deal with already right you don't need the extra ones yeah right and you know if you're neglecting your family that could be you know some sort of infidelity kind of thing or it could be that his alcohol abuse was getting in the way of doing the the family duties right? Taking care of his family. I've also known pastors Uh, that use their job as a reason to be absent from their family. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they, there's even a a phrase for it and it's pulpit widows, right? It's, um, pastors that spend too much time during their weekday you know, ministering to the congregation, not ministering to their family. Um, So I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was infidelity. No one ever officially accused him of infidelity. Um, I don't know. I don't think his divorce proceedings were public or anything like that. So I don't know if there was anything, but you know, it just neglect of his family duties was in there. I I think it's, it's interesting that he um, turned around and started another church is that church still up and going? Did we did we look at that? Yep, it's still up and going. Um, it does not mention anything about his past um, on the church right. website. Um, it doesn't mention anything about the fact that you know he was this founder of this church with twenty thousand people down the street, um, and that they removed mm-hmm. him. Doesn't say anything. 
it does mention how right. much he has a word from God for the people of South Carolina and that, you know, those kind of things, um, which brings me back to that arrogant argument of, yep. um, God wants his name to be revered. Um, mm -hmm. and if you are carrying his name, especially in such a large capacity for the entire world to associate Christ's name with your name, and then you drag that name through the mud, uh, it's kind of arrogant of you to think, mm -hmm. well, I still have a thing. I'm still close. I'm, I'm somehow special with God and I need to now carry this on and, and right. try again. Um, you know, there are billions of people in the world. I'm sure God can find another person to give whatever message he had for South Carolina to to that person instead of to you um, who hasn't drug, dragged his name through the mud. And, right. um, you know, it's you, you, you blew it, you know, and not, mm -hmm. not that you can't be restored to a right relationship with God, but you, you blew what you had. You, you gave up the, and you gave up the right to uh, be a representative of Christ publicly like that. I think, um, you know, so many times, how many people are going to call, you know, CNN or, you know, Fox news, they want the Christian angle of something. Well, I don't right. want that guy speaking for me anymore. I don't know if God wants that guy speaking for him anymore. Um, because, you know, f just a few years ago, he he failed in a, in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, not that I wouldn't love him and have him, you know, in my church. He's more than welcome to sit next to me in the pew in the church. I'd happily involve him in my, you know, community groups and life groups, and we would we could do life together. We could we all sin, we all fall short, we all yeah, deserve absolutely. condemnation. But God, but, but you know, Jesus died for us all, um, and that's. But it's the same. It's it's a different thing, I think, to now say. Well, I now I'm going to represent Christ to the world in a major public way, not just to my twelve friends at work or um, right, you know, the the small group of people in my neighborhood or something like that, but to the entire world. Um, so, you know, and that's. But now that you've mentioned this thing about the canon number eight, makes me curious about what that what that more says about um you know some some person like this because obviously those bishops would be in charge of a very large area and large right portion of of christendom um yeah like the uh current bishop of the greek orthodox archdiocese that our church is a part of he's based out of denver mm -hmm. and he covers all the way out to dallas and North. I mean, he, they cover a very massive swath of space. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't know if the Orthodox Church has changed. Right? Would they still allow a bishop who mm -hmm. committed infidelity to be to regain their bishopship? Bishopship is that how you said it? Well, um, uh, I was going to say, infidelity is not really a possibility 
for a bishop because bishops are not married. Oh, okay. So it would have to be it would be some other form of sexual sin. Gotcha. But infidelity wouldn't wouldn't be the right one. Gotcha. Because <laughs> you know, going back to you know the pulpit widows, right? That's right. the reason bishops are not to be married, mm. right? Because they know that they have to give their basically their entire lives to the church and can't also care for a family. That's a church tradition then? Right. Yeah. Yep. The priests can be married, but not the bishops. Gotcha. So if you want to go up in the world in the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, don't get married, huh? (laughs) Either don't get married or wait till you're a widower. (laughs) Most most bishops are widowers. Maybe maybe all... uh, when, when the spouses of all the priests die, there should be a really good investigation to make sure. <laughs> uh, oh. Well, we got another uh, guy on the list here. You kind of mentioned him before. Again, I don't want to name any names. We're not here to name and yeah. shame. That's not our that's not our thing, but um, at least not my thing. I, I don't really like to. Not mine either, um, so you're good. <laughs> but he was, he was able to resign. And the church accepted his, they asked for his resignation and then accepted his mm-hmm. resignation. Um, and the, the thing that was um, in the, in the public release was uh, being guilty of arrogance, responding to conflict with a quick temper and harsh speech and leading the staff and elders in a domineering manner. Um. And yeah, all those things would be on the list of don't be mm-hmm. uh, according to Titus and Timothy. Um, again, no, no sexual sin or nothing like that. Um, but he was, he was a big name in evangelical uh, Christianity in the last couple decades. Um, mm-hmm. But less than two years later, he's starting a new church in a new state. At least it wasn't the same town as the last guy, but, Right, um, right. But two years. And um, this is a quote from him. He took a year off from local pastoral ministry, is what he called it, to learn, repent, grow, heal, and meet with many people involved. Um, <laughs> local pastoral ministry of a worldwide ministry that involved tens of thousands of people. Um, right. But neither of these guys really had a major hierarchy above them. They were, they weren't in a real denomination. They were in fellowships of churches at most. Um, mm-hmm. And their eldership, and I mean eldership when I mean any type of um, board that might be in charge of this, right. yeah. obviously eventually stepped up. But in both of these cases, from what I remember, especially the second case, had been going on for years before they finally stepped up and 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 dismissed the pastor. Um, and so it, it took a long time for the for the people who were supposed to be holding him accountable to hold him accountable, um, which is, I think, easier to do in a church that doesn't have uh, formal. Um, hierarchy and not in a denomination and especially when the guy's famous, right. And well-liked and right. he's been there for 20 years or 30 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for anybody to say, 
a pastor, you know, I've grown up on your ministry. My kids are growing up in your ministry, but you're falling off the deep end now and you need to, you need right. to fix it. Um, so, um, we've got another guy on here. He was, um, he's got a large ministry. He was trained under even larger ministry. Um, but he admitted to infidelity with his wife. Uh, he didn't Mm -hmm. say exactly what that means, but he said infidelity. Um, and basically he went in front of his church and he sort of kind of repented. It's a very non-repentant repentance. And then he, this is his words. He sat down from leading the church for one month, not, not stepped down, sat down. Right. And then a month later he was back in the pulpit. Um, so he basically took a month long paid sabbatical and then he was back in the pulpit leading, like nothing happened. Um, that's, that's the thing that worries me is if that becomes more commonplace, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have issues with the name of God being, being tarnished, I think. Um, We've got a couple of other guys that hit a little close to home. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and these two guys um, were both Assembly of God ministers back in the 80s. And back to back, within like three years, the Assemblies of God had a a bad late 80s, let's just say it that way. Uh, And these two guys um, were were dismissed as Assembly of God ministers um, because of... uh, sexual immorality. Um, one of them embezzled a bunch of money. Um, a whole bunch of money. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what was curious to me was one of these guys, his initial punishment and I, uh, was a three month suspension. And then during that three months, the, the hierarchy above him said, no, we're going to increase that to two years but he didn't recognize that second punishment. And so after three months, he went right back into the pulpit and they said, no, you've been suspended for two years and he ignored them. And so they stripped him of his, his, Mm -hmm. uh, they defrocked him. They they stripped him of his credentials, but it didn't stop him. He just kept going. Like he didn't even hiccup. Um, I guess they took the name off the church, but they just, just kept on going. Um, the other guy had a nine-year hiatus from public ministry, so he stepped down for quite a while. Um, well, a portion of that was jail time. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we gotta we gotta point that sure. out. A portion of that was jail time. That's true. Um, the last guy here, I want to bring him up because I think it was a good, um, and I'll I'll mention his name. This is John Piper. Um, John Piper, he has an adult son that, um, is, is not in the faith. And, um, at one point when his son was 19, he went to his elders and he had a, a board of elders. Um, and he, he offered his resignation, he offered up to his resignation. He said, I should, I could step down. I could, you know, give up some of my duties or I could fully resign because 
I have a son who's not a believer. And according to these lists in Timothy and Titus, that might be a problem. And um, the elders took it on themselves to try and talk to this young man. Uh, he was 19 at the time. And uh, one of them, he actually employed the son for a while and just was not listening, was not repenting, was not um, realizing the error of his ways. And so they eventually church disciplined the son and eventually excommunicated the son um, as, as a final part of that church discipline. Of course, he's always welcome back in the church. If he repents, um, mm -hmm. he's, it's not a forever excommunication. Um, but then they concluded that the um, salvation status of an adult child is not what those revert, what those verses were referring to necessarily. They were meaning to have a well-managed household of kids living in your house. Um, not necessarily that they had to be actual believers because number one, it's hard to know if someone actually is a believer or just following the motions. And number two, what about children? What about, or, you know, young, young children, infants, um, those kind of things. And so they, they basically said these were guidelines to say a well-managed household. Um, and, and so that they weren't not going to accept his resignation. Um, right. So th this, this points, points us to a good point. Um, you know, you'd asked me to find a couple on from the East, right? Um, I, I didn't record their information here because there's not enough information out there. Um, there've been a couple of cases in the twenties and thirties, especially, uh, Bishop Athenagoras of the Greek Orthodox church of the USA, um, restored a couple of, of pastors, priests, um, because the deposing suspension, defrocking, whatever word you, you want to try and, and attach to these was really political, right? It wasn't based on some major issue. But as you, as you read some of the um, discussion around them, uh, the word economia, oikonomia, comes up uh, quite a bit, right? And it's kind of that um, what's best for the situation discussions, right? And we see here with Piper, right, the elders applied oikonomia, right? They said, you know, yeah, I mean, it says that you have to have a faithful child, right? He is your child. Even if he's an adult, he should be faithful. But we understand the situation, right? We don't think that the situation as it currently stands is enough to, to depose you from your position, right? They, they applied that idea of what is the best for the situation. Um, and I think that's that's important, right? That's an important thing that the churches should learn. You know, people like some of these other guys, right? Uh, the one that we were talking about that went on a paid month sabbatical, right? Uh, economia was not applied in this case, no. right? The best thing for, for that church is probably for him to step away, right? Even if it's, you know, a year long, 
sabbatical with, you know, the elders highly, heavily involved in his life to, to lead about that repentance or whatever the case may be, a month is not, is, I mean, is not enough. Sure. Right. You know, the full removal of people, you know, like some of our first guys to sustain that segment of the body of Christ, you have to cut out the cancer. Yeah. And if that cat, if that cancer is the lead pastor, get rid of him. Right. If he's, if he's going to damage the entirety of the body of Christ, or if he's leading a group of 20,000 people straight to the pits of hell, he should be gone. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a matter of what is best for the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, this, uh, this Canon eight, I really wish I would have read it beforehand. Um, I think it would have changed what I was, what I'd be thinking about here. Um, you know, cause I've always been of the mind of pastors are in a position of, of, of special, right there, there, there's a special seat. Um, and I think that Peter, that's what he's trying to say when he says that, um, they'll be, they'll be judged harshly. Mm-hmm. Paul says that they are worthy of double honor, you know? So there's, there's, there's a right. Both sides, right. double judgment, double honor. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's where I have formed my beliefs about, um, if they've, if they messed up, if they've, if they've disqualified themselves by breaking this list, and usually it's not just one of these lists. Usually it's multiples right. of these lists, you know, several of them. Yeah. You know, we, we heard there's one guy we said, okay, his thing was infidelity. But if you think about it, he restores himself after a month. That's also a lot of arrogance. That's also a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, um, in this particular guy's case, I would also say he's a greedy person. He's, um, he's, he's, you know, there's, there's other issues with this particular person. She um, was teaching heresy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, but these other guys, it was just, it was more than one thing. It was anger. It was arrogance. It was, yeah. you know, um, domineering. It was, you know, neglected the family. It was, you know, all these things. It wasn't just one thing that they, that they did that yep. determined that, okay, they needed to be removed. Um, in Titus list, Titus does say down there at the very bottom, the very last thing on his list, it says, um, must hold, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. And I think that's where you're getting into the idea of, you know, if they're teaching heresy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that would be a definitely be a listener. None of our guys were removed for that. Right. Probably multiples of them should have been, but, um, you know, that it does interesting, bring up the question of how to restore. Would you restore that person to the same church that was hurt by them? 
or right. or would you do as we see in the Catholic Church and we see in other larger organizations move them? You know, yeah, you've you failed as a pastor here, but we're restoring you to a pastor. But now you have to go to a different area. Um, um, I I was posting a question here too about does it matter how big of an impact you've made? Um, whether or not you're a small church pastor and you know, podunk, you know, flyover country, or if you are this mega church televangelist person who everyone, even unbelievers, know your name and they associate with with the church. Um, can one of those be restored? Should one of those be restored to the pastorship? I think quicker and or, or yeah, that you know, that's a. You know, we we have to look at it through uh, the global context, right? You know, it's it's very easy for us as Americans to have this idea that doesn't really always connect with the rest of the world. Um, but I think it would be much easier for that small town pastor to go through a time of repentance and reconciliation and be restored, maybe not to the same, same church, but to a similar church. Um, the, the big names, right? We, we struggle because I can, while we're sitting here, right? Well, I mean, while we're sitting here, right? We're not even in the same room. Right. Right. We're five hours from each other. Right. Yeah. You know? And and we're sitting here talking like we're we're face to face. It doesn't take much, right, for that one viral clip to hit a million people mm-hmm. in an afternoon. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think it is the the damage done, right, requires the the repentance and restoration to bring justice right so to make that right so if you've had a million views of you um being angry and arrogant and uh, demeaning your staff right you should have at least that many of you doing the right thing Mm. right you correcting that moment sure you know but that's not what we see in today's world. Right. Right. The things that are crazy, right, get millions and millions of views. Right. But the moment of repentance gets a thousand. Yeah. Maybe. You know, so that damage has been done. Yeah. And I think that makes it very, very hard if you have that kind of following to restore without leaving that scar of that damage. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, I, I think all of us want to be forgiving, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we've been forgiven of so much. We want to forgive so much. Um, and that's where I was saying at the beginning too, maybe a single instance, obviously we wouldn't say, Oh, that's a, disqualifying thing um but a a pattern okay 
you need to at least step down and fix this pattern uh, right. before you're allowed to step back up. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do think that this brings up a better question of, of church polity. You know, we, we mm-hmm. see these large churches um, led by these, these men who doesn't matter what the accountability is. We, I mean, two of these guys literally got removed from their, their, <laughs> their churches. And they just said, whatever, I'll just go start a new church. Um, right. And I know all my Catholic friends who might be listening to this are like, exactly. That's why we all need to be Catholic. <laughs> um, but even if we were all, still one church with some major hierarchy or something like that. Um, it doesn't stop someone from just starting a new church down the road or, or you know, and unless you're going to threaten them with violence of some kind and threaten them with prison of right. some kind. Um, so, you know, it, it's still going to happen. There was even when the church in Rome was the major church in the world, or, you know, especially the, the Eastern or the Western side, there were still people who were popping up random, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, Protestant churches even before the Protestant Reformation, um, right? And they, <laughs> the church had the power of violence at that point. They were able to violently put down those churches, but you know, you couldn't do that today's age. Um, right. Well, so I, th- I think that that leaves us a good question. Um, I, I know that. We we could dig into that tonight. Yeah. Right. Uh, but as all of our listeners know, we usually strive for about 30 minutes to talk. And we've been sitting here chatting for an hour. So, uh, so I say, why don't we go ahead and say that's our topic for next, uh, next time. Let's talk about church polity, the hierarchy, the, the importance of, um, polity the importance of hierarchy and accountability and those and cons right you know um let's 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 talk about it and talk about what having it means versus what not having it means because i have some thoughts as to what not having that hierarchy means um so i I think it would be be worth a longer discussion than we can give it tonight that sounds good cool do you have any closing remarks remarks no, um, I think Pat. Um, I think it's great if someone wants to become a pastor. I think if someone is called to that, um, they they should pursue it. Um, I, I do think that they should realize that this is a, a, a special calling, but also you you will be held to a higher standard as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and to rely on God, to rely on other men of God, to make sure you stay in uh, a right relationship with God, but also right, right relationship with man in order to lead the, the body of Christ where you're at. Um, I, I think a lot of this stuff starts with trying to be on your own. Um, and trying to um, try and think more highly of yourself than you ought. Um, you know, let, let God exalt you in his due time. Don't right. 
don't uh, don't strive to be the guy with you know thirty thousand people church or a million people watching every week online or something like that. Mm-hmm. Go strive to be a great pastor to that church of a hundred people in flyover country. Like you could do a lot of good in that. You you may not be insta famous, but you you're gonna do a lot of good for the kingdom, and that should be your main goal, not, not self-glorification and not glorification in the world. Um, Jesus said that those people have, have received their reward. Um, right. And I think you'd rather receive the reward that he's got for you in heaven. Most definitely. Well, thank you, Ted. This has been a, a blast as always. So I'm going to leave it here and... Uh, We'll be back next, uh, not next week, but the week after, talking about church polity. 